Yeah. Man, I can only imagine, I was out of the country, but I can only imagine 900-something kids running around our downtown campus. That's crazy, all right? Uh, but can we give it up for our volunteers who served, those of us who served in the room? Uh, as you can imagine, it takes a lot of different bodies and leaders to be able to do that and to pull that off. Um, that's the highest attended VBS that we've ever had um, in the history of our church. And so it's really kind of cool. And especially this is the first year we did a morning session and an evening session. So it's just cool to be able to reach into the community and, and to bless families um, that way. But it is good to be back. What's up, church? You know, um, I missed you guys last week. Sloan and I um, were actually leading a team of close to 96. 97 people um, in Israel. So we were doing a Holy Land uh, tour, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that um, I'm still kind of dragging. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Uh, my body, I'm just like wore out uh, from it. Uh, but we were gone for 10 days, well, 11, because we had some complications getting home. But a couple things I just wanted to throw out there at the top of the message. One, if you have an opportunity to go, which you do, you should go. It, it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, I think I shared this from the stage. I really didn't know what to expect going in, but when you're there and you're actually putting things into perspective, um, I mean, it's all becomes 3D, you know, to be able to stand where Jesus taught to, like literally, this is where it really hit home. So I think it was the Sunday before we left, I preached, um, we were closing up our Acts series and preached that passage where Paul was standing in front of King Agrippa and was pleading, pleading with him and saying, I want you to know and everybody to know who Jesus is. Um, like literally like three or four days later, we were standing at Caesarea Maritime where more than likely this was like the room in which uh, Paul was doing that. I'm like, this is so crazy, you know, to put it in perspective. Not that I've ever doubted my faith, but it is so cool to go and to be there and to experience that. And so I would encourage you, we, we often have teams... Um, our trips to the Holy Land. We also have ones that, that Wayne leads to Greece uh, to do the footsteps of Paul. And um, I'm hoping I'll be able to have another time to go back and would love for you to join me on that. Um, the second thing is, um, I don't know if you follow us on, or Sloan and I on any of our social media. I have like three friends and one of them is my mom. But, um, but uh, we had a heck of a time getting home. So it was quite the amazing race, if you will. Um, as we flew in, we, we were all day last Tuesday in Jerusalem, um, kind of wrapping up our tour. We flew out of Tel Aviv at midnight, uh, took a 12-hour flight to Newark, 
and landed. And as soon as we landed, I get a text message saying our flight to Atlanta was canceled and that we had to fly standby. So it was like standby, standby, standby. So me and Sloan were like, I just want to get home. Have you ever been like that where you're like, I just want to get home? Um, and, and so um, I don't know if you saw it. It's all over the news. Um, but it was a hot mess. The airlines were a hot mess. And so um, we ended up trying to take Amtrak to another city. They were all booked. Then we were like, we're going to rent a car and drive from New Jersey to Atlanta. All, there were no rental cars. So we're like, okay. And thankfully, some great friends, some church members helped us. And we took an Uber from Newark to Long Island to like the small little airport. And um, with the most Italian New Jersey Uber driver I've ever had in my life, it was quite the experience. I thought I was going to die. Like I literally texted Dallas and I was like, pray for us. We're going to die. <laughs> um, I had to close my eyes and my ears. Um, so, um, but we made it to Long Island and flew from Long Island to Norfolk, Virginia, spent the night, took an Uber to Target because we needed clothes, walked to Chick-fil-A because you want Chick-fil-A when you get back from an international trip, just saying that in Starbucks, it's like American, all right? And then we spent the night and then flew from Norfolk to Baltimore, Baltimore to Atlanta, took the MARTA up, and praise God, our, we found our luggage, and so it was quite the trip. But, um, and then I came home, and because of the storms, had a huge tree that fell um, that's on our property into our street, so I had to cut that up. So if you look at my truck, uh, I'm selling white pine. If anybody, actually, you can just take it, okay? Um, maybe you like to whittle um, or do some furniture building. But, but anyway, it is great to be back. Missed you guys. And this morning, um, we're doing a kind of a standalone one Sunday message. Next Sunday, don't miss the next six weeks after today because we're going to be starting a series on the book of Daniel uh, in the Old Testament with really this tagline of thriving in Babylon. We're going to look at Daniel's life, how he was thriving in a, a jacked up world, um, very similar to the, the world that you and I live in. So how can we thrive? How can we live? How can we influence a lost and broken world? And so we're going to be looking at that starting next week. And today is a great kind of setup for that, um, being Fourth of July weekend to celebrate freedom. I want us to really kind of evaluate and to rest and to think on what does it mean to have freedom? Now, beyond like fireworks and the cookouts that we're all going to overeat on potato salad and hot dogs and hamburgers, and, you know, hopefully nobody will get burned and blow up from a firework. Just back it up, Terry. Okay. Um, anyway, you'll, have, have you ever seen that? I don't know. But beyond all that, when I'm talking about freedom, I'm talking about more than just freedom in America. Not that I'm anti America, I'm so thankful for our servicemen who have fought for our freedom. I'm so thankful for the country we live in. But I want to go even deeper and talk about our freedom in Christ. What does it mean to have freedom in Jesus? What does that mean? It means so much more than just, okay, I've, I've given my life to Jesus. That means I can do whatever I want and he'll forgive me later. It means, uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, we'll never, you know, just because we follow Jesus that all, all of our struggles will go away, but it's so much deeper to that. And we're going to look at um, Peter and his letter um, in 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. But before we do that, I'm just going to throw this statement out there to kind of help us kind of um, align our minds and our hearts. But if you think about this, our freedom in Christ shapes our identity and our behavior as believers. So when we acknowledge and we truly understand and we begin to define who we are based on our identity in Jesus, 
it, it shapes, right? It shapes our identity. It shapes who we are and who we are becoming. And it also shapes our behavior, how we interact in a lost and broken world, how we interact with people in our lives, how we view ourselves, and all these different things. And Peter proves this by these comments. So we're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 9. So you can follow along in your Bibles or on the app or even on the screens. Uh, follow along with me. Um, chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what Peter says. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So the audience that Peter is writing to is a group of believers. They understand, and he is reiterating, here's what God has done. He, ha he has redeemed you. He has chosen you. You are his people, and he's called you out of darkness into marvelous light. He further continues in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war Against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter is showing this contrast of, hey, this is what you were before God, but he has chosen you, he, has, he loves you, and here's who you are now. Act accordingly. Then he continues, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to have two main points uh, this morning. All right, if you're taking notes, two main points. But my second point, little pastor trick, I actually have four subpoints. So joke's on you. All right, I got six points. All right, but it sounds better when I only got two points. But the first point that I, I want us to see from what Peter is saying in his letter is one that as believers, our highest allegiance is Christ and his kingdom. That is our greatest, that should be our greatest commitment, what we are passionate about, and how, where we find our allegiance is in him because of what he has done for us. Now think about this. Every single one of us in this room, we wear a lot of different hats. We play a lot of different roles and have a lot of different responsibilities. For some of us, we're husband and wife. For some of us, we're mom and dad. For some of us, we're sons or daughters. For some of us, we're bosses or employees. For some of us, we're Braves fans and, or sinners, okay? Um, that's a joke, all right? I love the Braves. They're doing awesome. Go Braves. Uh, okay, anyway, 
but we wear a lot of different hats and there's a lot of different responsibilities and roles that we have day in and day out that we identify with. But what we have to understand is that the most important role and responsibility is who we are in Jesus because of the freedom that he has given us. And Peter reiterates that by in, this, in the opening uh, verses of this passage, re, um, reiterating who we are. Because he's reminding us when we understand who we are, we understand where our allegiance should be. And it's because of God and all the things that he has done and how he has called us and worked in us and all of these things that Peter says that that's where our allegiance should be. So, for example, Peter says things like this. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. So you are his. You're a child of God. He then says, once you were not people, but now you are God's people. So once again, defining who you are, you are God's people. He, he then continues, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're people defined because we have received mercy because of Christ. Then he's, uh, Peter says, beloved. So we, we are loved. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, we are strangers and aliens to this broken and lost world. As believers, we should not look like everybody else. We should not act or think like everybody else. It's this tension that we battle day in and day out. I understand it, because we, we naturally don't wanna be the outcast. We wanna fit in. We wanna be popular. We wanna be well-liked. We want people to uh, accept us. We want that acceptance. But as believers, that's not always the case. For what we believe in our faith and, and what we stand for looks different than the world that we live in. Paul often says we are aliens and strangers. And Peter, once again, says that, that we are sojourners, that we're wanderers, we're exiles, that people say that's, that's, that doesn't make any sense. You're narrow-minded in that. And so Peter is reiterating all these things. And then he gets to the point where he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable meaning Gentiles, unsaved, broken, and lost people that we come in contact with, that our behavior should be one that is honorable. That, so when they look at our, live, our lives, Peter says, um, that even as evildoers, that they will see good deeds in us and glorify God. And so this is all based when our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone, because the reality is whose we are determines who we are. You probably have heard that. Whose we are, when we realize I belong to Christ, I belong to him, my freedom is in him, my life that I live is in him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That when we see this mentality, when we see this shift in our perspective, we understand whose we are, and it then begins as a byproduct to say, this is who I am. This is my identity. I, 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 I'm allegiant to Christ and to his kingdom first and foremost. It's our greatest passion or at least it should be. My commitment is to him. Now think about this. We, we, probably all of us know the verse at the end of Matthew where a lawyer stands up and asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? 
And out of this, it's all throughout Scripture. It's actually in Deuteronomy as well in the Old Testament where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of it. Now, I think it's fair to say that for many, if not all of us, we don't love God with all of our heart. We're pulled in so many different directions. And so what ends up happening is we give God a part of our heart or part of our allegiance. And so we have all these commitments, all these things that pull us in all kinds of different directions. And to be real frank, for many of us, we're more committed to things that aren't of Jesus than we are Jesus himself. There's things that are in our life that we spend more time, energy, uh, resources, whatever it is, on than we do Jesus. It's like, okay, check that off one hour on Sunday. I'm good to go, but I'm going to spend all my other time thinking and being passionate about these other things. And Peter is saying, let your greatest passion be Jesus. This was like a reality check for me um, when we were in Israel. This is so interesting. So on our last day, I think it was our last day. I get them all <laughs> mixed up. But we went to the garden tomb. And in one moment, you're standing in line, and you walk, and you see, and you're inside the tomb where Jesus lay, that he's no longer there, amen, okay? That we walk, and we see, and we witness. And then we walk to kind of a section that was um, for our entire group, and we're worshiping, we're, we take communion. And while we're singing worship songs, now I don't know if you know your history of Jerusalem, but the Temple Mount is owned by Muslims, so as we're worshiping, you hear the chants and the call to prayer over like the city intercom. Crazy dichotomy. And so at first, my judgmental self was like, this is crazy. You know, like how can all of this happen in your backyard and you not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Are you with me? All these things are right here and we're worshiping and I'm thinking, shame on them for not believing in Jesus as, as the Messiah. How could they not do that? And then it hit me, we have the same problem in America. That we, we proclaim Jesus in some regards, but then our life doesn't match up with it. And what Jesus convicted me of, and I wrote this down, is does God have all of us? Is he our greatest allegiance? Does he have everything that you have to offer? Have you given everything to him? And I had, to, I had to check myself. It'd be like, you know what? I, I can point my fingers and be like, how could you not do this? But I'm thinking, man, I haven't given God everything. That's easier said than done. But I have to come to a point of surrender every single day to say, God, have it all. The money that I make is, is not mine. It's yours. My family is not mine. It's yours. The life I live, it's only because of you. So you have to be thinking of those things. Does God have all of us? And when we get to that point and we realize that this place is surrendered, that's when we experience true freedom. The freedom that only Christ can give. Here's the second point that we see Peter say, is that as earthly citizens, we must live like kingdom citizens. As earthly citizens, if you're a follower of Jesus, we must live like kingdom citizens. Now, I'm probably going to offend some people, and that's okay. That's what the gospel does. But as Christians, our primary citizenship is not on an earthly or in an earthly nation. America is not the promised land. We are not Israel. This isn't God's chosen country. Now, you'll be like, dang, 
Listen, I'm patriotic. You ask my wife during the Olympics, I've become the biggest uh, patriotic USA fan no, no matter what. I, I want to paint my chest, and I'm just watching it in the living room, you know? But the thing is, is that our security and our identity is not, or it should not be, in the country that we live in. It should be in our citizenship of heaven. That's the most important thing. There are Christians all over the world. It doesn't matter what country you live in. And while I'm thankful for our freedom, what's most important is how we view our citizenship in the scheme of God's eyes. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, especially as Americans, we tend to elevate our allegiance to our country and we live like Americans first before we live like Christians. So people know us based on our patriotism more than our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And here's how I would put it. We should never define ourselves as Americans who are Christians. We are Christians who just happen to live in America. And I'm super blessed by our country, and I wouldn't change it for the world. But there are points in my life where I'm super jealous because there are people, I've met people in the bush of Guatemala in a third world country who have greater faith than you and I. I'll never forget the defining moment of my faith when we led a group of high schoolers to the bush of Jamaica, so remote that most people from Jamaica have never even heard of this city. And we're building hurricane-proof homes, and we go to dedicate this house to this lady, and we're like, hey, we're going to pray for you. She said, no, 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 no. I'm going to pray for you because you have so many distractions in your faith in America. And it's so true. We get pulled in so many different ways. We're committed to those things. And we are citizens as believers of Christ's kingdom, and we are people of God because we have been bought, purchased, and redeemed by the work of Jesus. Not of anything that we've earned or tried to accomplish on our own, and we must live like citizens of that kingdom. I love what Paul says to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he says this in chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. He says, that is in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And get this, this is a big responsibility. And entrusting to us, that's you and me as believers, the message of reconciliation. So what that means is that as we're living as kingdom uh, citizens of God's kingdom, because of the message and the ministry of Jesus or in Christ, a reconciliation between us and God, you and I, God has entrusted us as believers to proclaim and announce to the world, right, that there is reconciliation between them and God through Jesus. But oftentimes what we proclaim is division and hate and pushing people away from the gospel message. We, should, we are entrusted with that message. We have to live that way. Then Paul continues, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ or for Christ. God making his appeal through us, using us. And so then Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now, I know this is cliche, but I've often heard it said that Oftentimes, we're the only Bible people will ever read. The way that we live our life, the way we speak, the way we treat other people, what we're passionate about, however we live as citizens, 
in our world. People are watching. And what Peter is talking about, what Paul reminds us of, is that we are ambassadors. We represent Jesus. And so when people look at our lives, they should see Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I, I've seen Christians, and I, I know this sounds judgmental, maybe it is, but people, I'm like, I don't want that person as a Christian representing me. That's not how I live. That's not how I speak. That's not how I view life. And so it's a dangerous opinion. It's like, it's almost like one of those things where I've told you this before, people think like Joel Olstein is like the, the pastor that speaks for all Christians. I'm like, please, God, no, you know? I don't want people to say, I'm a, when, I think, when I say I'm a pastor, to be like, oh, you're like Joel Olstein. I'm like, no. But every single day, we should be a reflection of Jesus in the life that we live. So how do we do that? How can we be ambassadors? Peter uh, gives us kind of four insights, or at least I think there's four. There might be more. The first one is as an ambassador, we must proclaim Jesus above all. In verse 9, Peter says, because of this work that God's done, because we are chosen race and a royal priesthood, we should proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into marvelous light. We should be people that are consistently and constantly proclaiming God's goodness and faithfulness. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we're in, the, like, in a season that we just feel like we're in a horrible valley and there's no way out, we should be proclaiming how good and awesome and faithful God truly is. Now, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that if you're in a dark spot right now, that next time you see somebody and they ask you how you're doing, you'll be like, God, it's so good. It's just amazing, you know, and be like, over the top with it. But there's got to be something in us as believers, as we see all throughout Scripture, God is the promise keeper. He is faithful. He, it might be suffering on our part. It might not make sense. We might have to go through some trials. It might not be how we planned it. But God is good and faithful. And we should be proclaiming those excellencies in everything that we do. Peter says, proclaim those things. Proclaim Jesus Above all, does your life reflect the awesomeness of God? The second thing that Peter um, really shows is that as ambassadors, we should pursue holiness with everything. You could even say in everything. Everything that you and I do, we should pursue holiness. In verse 11, Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You don't need me to tell you this. Every single day, every day we wake up, there is this internal struggle of what we want to do and what God wants us to do. If you're a parent, you know this. It's so true. Your kids, they don't want to do what you want them to do. They want to do what they want to do. As adults, we want to do what we want to do. And so Peter says, hey, I'm urging you, do not follow, do, do not go after the things of this flesh, but pursue holiness. Pursue the things of God. So as ambassadors, as we're walking in this relationship with Jesus, we should be pursuing holiness. Now, here's where this is really, really hard in the world that we live in. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel we live in a culture that is calling good evil and evil good. And here's where the rubber meets the road for believers, because usually... 
this passage of scripture, which it is, it's speaking to us honoring authorities, living in a land, um, you know, being in the world but not of the world type mentality that we need to honor our authorities. But the rub comes where we live in a world that is pushing or telling us what we should believe or shouldn't believe or whatever the case may be. Now, here's the thing. As followers of Christ, as we're pursuing holiness, pursuing God, we should honor our authorities, whether you like it or not. But when it comes to a place where we are asked, or if this ever comes a time, where we are asked to do something that is contrary to the word of God, we must take a stand as believers. Now you see through the New Testament, you see that Jesus says, pay under Caesar what is Caesar. But then we just saw this several times in the book of Acts where the governors call in the believers and say, hey, shut your mouth. Stop talking about Jesus. And what do they, how do they respond? We're not going to do it. And so as believers, we cannot run away from culture. We have to influence it. And so we have to be very careful how we're doing that to be in line with Scripture and not to um, ruin our witness and to do it in an honorable way. As Peter says, the Gentiles are watching. And so we can't always just come out guns a-blazing, wanting to be heard, wanting to be right, put people in their place, call people names, say how stupid people are, lost people act lost. So we have to be very careful as believers to influence people to Jesus. And we do that by pursuing holiness. The third thing that Peter um, tells us as ambassadors to do is to do good. Now, it's really, really simple. It seems like some country guy is like, hey, just do good, man. You want to be ambassador for Jesus? Just do good. (laughs) You know, it's so simple. But be a good person. Do good. Peter talks about it twice. He says once, um, the first time he says, um, talking about the Gentiles doing, being honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So they're going to see your good works. And then in verse 15, he talks about this and praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter doesn't say, for this is the will of God. Just get on Facebook, put all all your hate words out there, and it, it will silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says, do good. So I see this, and as an ambassador, we have to be good people. The psalmist says this, trust in the Lord and do good. And he says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So instead of putting people in their place and and saying, hey, I don't agree with you, as citizens of of God's kingdom, in this mindset, instead of earthly, but looking at God's kingdom, we need to be people that befriend faithfulness, faithfulness to God, pursue holiness. And then fourth and finally, super easy, respect everyone. Doesn't mean you have to uh, agree with them or you know, believe exactly the way they believe. But we, need, we do need to honor everyone. Verse 17, Peter says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
And, and Paul reminds us in, um, to the church of Philippi in verse, um, chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It does take great humility to put other people, to respect people that don't look like you, act like you, vote like you, do things like you, agree with you. But if we are going to be ambassadors of Christ, you think Jesus on, on this earth for three years agreed with everybody? He could have gone to the Pharisees and did all kind of, all kind of craziness. He could have treated people that weren't like him a certain way. But he met them where they are, and he pointed them to his heavenly Father. Let us do that. And so here's kind of how I want to end. I want us to evaluate. We're going to spend time in responding to Jesus with communion. But I want you to think about this. Do you live at, at, as a citizen of God's kingdom or of your own kingdom? And then kind of a follow-up question is, is your allegiance more to the things of this world or to the kingdom of God? And so as we take communion, I know it's real easy to just kind of get the elements, go back to your seat, say a little prayer, but I want you to truly evaluate your allegiance to God this morning. And are you thankful for the freedom that only comes through Christ? Because here's what I want you to think about. This has an ending kind of statement. True freedom can only be experienced with complete allegiance to Christ. You want freedom in your life? You're tired of being enslaved by sin and the, the, the thoughts and opinions of this world? Surrender to Jesus. Jesus is the only way you would experience true satisfaction because of the freedom that he gives. And so as we take communion, the band's gonna lead. I'm gonna pray, the band will lead. Come up however you feel led. Get juice, crackers, you can go back to your seat and just check, check your heart. Where are you in your relationship with God? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for who you are who you call us to be. And I know it is in a comfortable world, especially in the life that we have in America, it's so easy to get so distracted, bombarded, and pulled away from the greatest freedom that we could ever experience. And that is through your son, Jesus. And the only way that we can experience that is by surrendering our life to him because he surrendered his life to you. And in the upper room that day, that evening when he met with his disciples and he said, this bread is my body that was broken for you and this juice is my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, in this moment as we respond to you, God, let us remember the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can truly live, that we could no longer be enslaved to sin and separated from you for eternity but to have life and to have it to the full. So God, we worship you and we remember your body that was broken and the blood that was shed. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together. As you feel led, take communion and you can pray as a family or individually. If you need more prayer or wanna talk, I'll be down front. We'd love to talk to you. Now let's worship.